There's a track on the Counting Crows album, Hard Candy, called New Frontier. And the song is pretty much just about that, talking about this new frontier going beyond what is a new way of looking at the world, of being in the world. A few lyrics near the end of the song are, but I'm at the end of a new frontier, here at the edge of the flat earth ending. I'm getting off to get lost in the air at the end of the world where the light is bending. I couldn't help but think of this song this week as a reflection of our gospel, this concept of new frontier, of the light bending, of we anticipating the next thing, the new thing, this change, this shift, of everything being different, of refocusing, reviewing, reorganizing to see how we live in the world. For in a sense, Jesus is like the new frontier, this new experience, this new way of looking at the world, of being in the world. And people are flocking to him like this is the new frontier. Now, when we last met up with Jesus, if you remember last week, he was calling the fishermen, Simon, James, and John, to become fishers of people. And this week, we jump over a few stories to get to where we are. So let's just get everyone caught up on what we skipped over. After Simon, James, and John leave everything, they travel with Jesus through the various cities. He heals a leper, a paralytic. He calls a tax collector to come and follow. He's questioned by the Pharisees about his teaching, about fasting, and about the Sabbath. And he also winds up healing a man with a withered hand on the Sabbath. Following all of this, he goes up on the mountain, not clear which one, but the mountain to pray, spending the night in prayer with God. When day came, he called his disciples, and he chooses 12 of them. It's only after all of this, including prayer with God and choosing the disciples, that Jesus and the disciples come down from the mountain to the level place. And this is where we pick up today, where a great crowd is already gathered. Multitudes of people from Judea, Jerusalem, and the coast of Tyre and Sidon. Now, we don't know exactly where Jesus is. Luke doesn't make it very clear what mountain Jesus was on or what region he's currently in. But to put it into perspective, the distance between these places that people gathered from it's about 120 miles from Jerusalem to the coast of Tyre, and another 30 or so miles from Tyre north to Sidon. Judea is a vast area. It stretches 120 miles from north to south and about 50 miles east to west. Luke is trying to make it clear <laughs> that no matter where Jesus is, people have traveled quite a distance just to get to him. And all for good reason. They came to hear him and to be healed of their diseases, to be cured of their unclean spirits. Certainly a new frontier, something no one had ever experienced before. Something everyone who heard of this was clinging to, searching to find holding on tightly 
to the hope that they might one day meet Jesus. In the midst of these crowds, this multitude of desperation, it's that Jesus teaches and he heals. And let's pause a moment again, this great multitude of desperation. This is exactly who was running to Jesus. Those who were ill, dying, sick, had unclean spirits. Those who were paralyzed, blind, lame, deaf, or had extensive medical conditions that could not be cured. And thus they were considered unclean. And anyone who was considered unclean in some way wasn't allowed to fully be a part of society. Depending on the ailment, the illness, the deficiency, it also meant they weren't allowed to fully participate in temple or synagogue worship. These people who came to Jesus or brought their loved ones to Jesus were certainly looking for the new frontier. They were looking for a world of wholeness, fullness, restoration, reconciliation. They were looking for a world where they were included, where they were cared for and cared about, where they would be welcomed and fully loved, supported, and deemed worthy of society. To know that they were loved by God. And it's in the midst of these crowds that Jesus teaches, blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. Blessed are you who are hungry now, for you will be filled. Blessed are you who weep now, for you will laugh. Blessed are you when people hate you and when they exclude you, revile you, and defame you on account of the Son of Man. Rejoice in that day and leap for joy, for surely your reward is great in heaven, for that is what their ancestors did to the prophets. These blessings are similar to the Beatitudes many are so familiar with in the Gospel of Matthew. In a sense, these are Luke's Beatitudes, only Luke doesn't stop with just the blessings. He also gives warnings or woes. Woe to you who are rich, for you have received your consolation. Woe to you who are full now, for you will be hungry. Woe to you who are laughing now, for you will mourn and weep. Woe to you when all speak well of you, for that is what their ancestors did to the false prophets. If we pay attention here, remembering where Jesus is, who has flocked to him, and what has been happening, we see Jesus truly trying to pull the disciples, pull all who dare to follow into the new frontier with him. This teaching that brushes up against all that was common thought about blessings and graces of God in his day. The idea that if you are rich, full, laughing, and happy, and spoken well of, that you've received blessings of God. If life is hard, you're ill, sick, diseased, blind, deaf, poor, mourning, dissolute, that you and your parents must have sinned in some way against God, and in a sense you're getting what you deserve. This teaching that has been lifted up over and against the numerous teachings of God to love neighbor as you love yourself, to care for the poor, the widow, the orphan, the refugee, 
to let those in need glean the edges of the fields and to reese the slaves every seven years in the year of this sabbatical year. This repetitive refrain that God cares for the least of these. Perhaps the repetitive refrain that we also continue to ignore today. In this teaching, though, Jesus isn't trying to say we should all strive to be poor, hungry, living desperate lives as the only way to be blessed by God. But what he's telling us is to pay attention. Or as Counting Crows starts their song, New Frontier, with the lyrics, Come on, children, mind the gap. Now, minding the gap is something broadcasted repeatedly over loudspeakers in the UK on train platforms. It's the reminder to watch out for the space between the train and the platform, the gap. Really, perhaps this is similar to what Jesus is getting at, minding the gap between the rich and the poor, the full and the hungry, the mourning and the laughing. Did you catch that right at the start of this passage, it says, Jesus came down and stood on a level plain, a level place? Luke right here is using wording to get us all in the right mindset. Jesus comes down from the mountain to a level place where the crowds are, where the disciples follow. He heals and teaches and calls the disciples, calls all who are to follow to a more level place, to where there isn't such a distance between the two groups, but an equaling out in some way. He calls them to mind the gap. For this is what it means to enter the new frontier, to follow Jesus, to welcome in the in-breaking kingdom. Yet if we pause and take a step back, the reality is that we haven't really been doing a good job at minding the gap. We seem to fall back into familiar patterns that plague society in Jesus' day and continue to plague us today. Our country, let alone our world, is still filled with gaps. There's the wealth gap, the education gap, the health gap, there's food deserts. I mean, the list could go on and on of the various gaps and failures around the world that mark the continued distance between the blessings and the woes. If nothing else, the pandemic has highlighted the drastically growing differences in the gaps. The top richest men in the world more than doubled their wealth during the pandemic at the cost of the health, welfare, and staggering wages of those who helped them to produce such wealth. Students who were already falling behind due to poverty fell even further in online learning with struggles to secure computers or consistent internet or even just a safe environment, as chances were good, their parents were still going to work, leaving them home alone, struggling to learn and take care of themselves. And that, then parents that did leave the workforce were called lazy, entitled, and harassed for taking aid from the government just to survive and take care of their family. We saw how the richest countries in the world divided up the limited supply of vaccines, hoarded needed medical supplies at the expense of developing nations and the lives of so many. 
or how one's privilege for freedom was often spat out as greater than the safety of someone's immunocompromised health. Meat became a hot commodity. We saw ebbs and flows, not just in the grocery store, but when we were easily able to secure it for the pantry from the food bank, when they had minimal to nothing to distribute. The food deserts grew much larger, not just with meat, but with supply chain issues for many products. And while we may have started off with praising our essential workers, with sharing toilet paper, with offering to provide assistance to others in whatever way was deemed safe, where at the start it looked like the gap might start to narrow, that we were recognizing this gap. By now, it seems like it's only grown larger than where it first began. We also like to think that the distance between the gap isn't so close for us. For us middle class folks. We like to think that we're solidly on the one side of the gap. But the reality is that for many, just one lost paycheck or one major medical expense can be night and day between which side of the gap we wind up falling into. Yes, the gap has grown larger between the world's poorest and the world's richest, but those of us that fall in between, the gap is actually closer than we realize. So perhaps it's time to truly pay attention to mind the gap. There was a shared post going around the internet this past week, started by Singred Ellis, I apologize if I pronounced the name wrong. It was after she listened to a podcast, and she says, I heard this weekend how Americans are really good at acute compassion, but really bad at chronic empathy. We, without question, haul strangers out of a raging flood, give blood, give food, give shelter, but we are lousy at legislating safe, sustainable communities. We're lousy at elder care, at, at, access, at accessible streets and buildings. It is the long-term work that makes the disasters less damaging. But we don't want to give to the needy. We want to save the endangered. We don't like being care workers. We want to be heroes. The world does not need more heroes. The world needs more care. And friends, when I read these words, I couldn't possibly think they reflected Jesus' teaching any stronger. In the midst of healing the multitude, Jesus turns to the disciples and tells them to care, to mind the gap. And he's essentially telling us we won't all be miracle workers, we won't all heal or cast out demons or restore the dead, but we can still change the world. We can enter into the new frontier of caring, of minding the gap, of standing on the level plane where all are given an equal chance, where all are valued and deemed worthy of society, where they, are, where they know that they are loved by God, where there is reconciliation, wholeness, and healing, not just at individual levels, 
but at foundational levels, at societal levels, at kingdom-building levels. So friends, let's take heart to Singred Ellis's words to be care workers. Let's listen to counting crows to mind the gap. Let's follow Jesus in making a way and offering glimpses of the glorious kingdom that is set before us that we might someday fully enter into the new frontier. Hallelujah. Amen.